Welcome to another edition of the official Jets podcast powered by Amazon Web Services. Ethan Greenberg, Eric Allen here in the BetMGM studio. We got Joe Flacco fresh off of bye week. And we're off. We're fresh off the bye week too, EA. Yeah, feeling pretty good as we start up the season second half. I know technically this second half started against the Patriots for the New York Jets, but these are the final seven games and you just want to see this team continue to develop and take strides forward. And with Joe Flacco at the helm, I think they did just that against the New England Patriots. I thought they played their best offensive game of the season. And we also have Bart Scott, like we do every week for the Victorinox, Swiss Army player of the game, basically a preview of the Jets Chargers. More of a micro look at things, whether it's a player or a matchup to watch, as the Jets will travel west for their first of three West Coast games. And that got crunched as well because of the scheduling change. Three of the next five weeks, the Jets will be on the West Coast. Of course, that starts here with the game against the Chargers. And they'll be in the new stadium. And then in just a few weeks, they'll be back in L.A. after playing the Seattle Seahawks, where they'll kind of complete an NFC Western swing. Of First, they'll match up with Russell Wilson and company out there in Seattle. And then they'll be right back in L.A. at the same stadium the Chargers play in, <laughs> facing the Rams. Yeah, that's a lot of travel. And we knew that coming in. And back when the schedule came out, or let's just say before the pandemic, I think – a lot of people were thinking, well, maybe the Jets would stay out there for a week, and that's probably not going to be the case this at this point in time, given the way everything is right now in the world. And in terms of this podcast, the official Jets podcast powered by AWS with Joe Flacco, thought Joe was great. And, you know, Joe might get labeled as maybe a boring guy, and he said so himself, but he's a fun dude. I thought it was rather therapeutic for Flacco because he was able to get some things <laughs> yeah. off – his mind, talking about his family, but no, a very intelligent guy who's accomplished a lot in the National Football League. And I know you're not supposed to root for players, and we basically tell the stories and we try to connect the fans with the players and the coaches and members of the organization. But Flacco is a guy you root for considering what happened with him the last couple seasons. Of course, Lamar Jackson taking over with the Baltimore Ravens. Then he started eight games with the Denver Broncos a year ago and unfortunately had to have neck surgery in the offseason. A lot of people wondered if he'd ever play again. He signed with the Jets to be Sam Darnold's backup, and he started three games already, and I thought he looked really tremendous against the Patriots. Stood there tall in the pocket, and God, he's a big guy, six foot six. Uh, accurate with the long ball and just great command. So he does have a future in the National Football League. You saw that against the Patriots. He can still win in this league. All right. Without further ado, let's hear from Joe Flacco. Now joined by Jets quarterback Joe Flacco on the official Jets podcast. Joe, thanks a lot for joining us. And I want to start with this. A lot of people know your accolades as a professional athlete, but you come from an athletic family. You have many brothers who are very athletic. Can you tell us their backgrounds? And was baseball really your first love? Well, yeah, I mean, just talk, talk about baseball. It's just one of those sports that, you know, we grew up playing as a family, and it's one of the ones that's really easy to get into when you're super young. So, um, you know, I, I probably played that one the longest, and, you know, my parents didn't let us play football until we were 12 years old, you know, uh, contact football at least until we were 12 years old. So we started playing right around that age, and, 
Um, you know, kind of had an interesting football path too. I mean, my first few years playing football, I wasn't the quarterback, obviously, because we started playing so late that, you know, most of the teams I was on had their guy already. So you got to play, you know, a wide variety of, of positions and things like that. Um, you know, I always knew it. I could always throw the ball pretty well. So I always knew I was going to be quarterback or wanted to be the quarterback when I got to high school. So, um, you know, I was kind of just getting my feet underneath me in, in terms of Pee Wee and things like that. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, my dad uh, went to the University of Pennsylvania, played football and baseball there. I have four brothers. I have a sister. Uh, my brother that I grew up with, you know, right underneath me, uh, played minor league baseball for the Orioles for a little while. And then he was, he was on a few practice squads um, about a couple years after that. Um, I have a brother who walked on at Stanford and, and played, played for them for a few years. My youngest brother uh, bounced around in college, but ended up having a really good career at Towson and is hoping to get a shot somewhere, um, you know, so, somewhere along the way here. So um, sports were always a part of kind of how we grew up. Uh, it was probably a little bit different era that I grew up in. I think with my kids now, um, just how I see everything being so organized. And, you know, you could see it back when I was playing kids specializing in one sport or something like that. But even nowadays, everything is just so organized. You know, it's not like kids are running around, riding around on their bikes and knocking on doors and just organizing their own games that much anymore. And that's kind of how I grew up, you know, besides baseball, uh, you know, in my youth playing athletics. It was just bouncing from one sport to the next on the schoolyard and seeing how good we could get. What were you like as an older brother and what are you like now as an older brother? Because you set the tone for your entire family, if you really think about it. One is six, but Joe Flacco was the first in line. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't know if that's a common thing or an uncommon thing when you're, when you're you know, to have the oldest brother actually um, jump right out ahead and do those kind of things. But I, I definitely think that you know, being the oldest for whatever reason molds your personality in a certain way. Um, you know, I think for me, it's definitely given me a sense of allowing things to kind of get brushed off. You know, it allows me to brush things off probably a little bit easier and not be as emotional about things just because, you know, I grew up with definitely my brother who's two years younger than me, but in some respects, all of my siblings kind of coming after me and trying to, trying to, you know, take me off of the mountain, being the best, <laughs> being the oldest and all those things. So, you, you see, you know, so I got used to that. I got used to them being emotional about things and always wanting to beat me and me realizing like, okay, I'm still a little bit better than this guy. I can beat him, <laughs> you know, but it's not the end of the world. If every, if every now and then he thinks he's, he, he, he thinks he's got a little leg up on me, I, you know, at the end of the day, I know he doesn't. So, um, so, you know, so, you know, there's definitely things about that that kind of mold your personality. And I think for me, it's definitely the case. Uh, obviously, I feel like a lot of that's probably born in me also. But, you know, I can see with my own kids, you know, birth order for some reason, you know, it definitely feels like it matters to some extent. And I think that that's kind of my perspective on it. It allows me to have, you know, it allow, I just feel like it, it, I grew up with practice of keeping my emotions in check, no matter how hard or how easy things are, um, just because of dealing with, you know, learning how to deal with other people's emotions and, and seeing what it does to them. So Ethan, I'm learning a lot already right now, early in the podcast, because I am the youngest in my family. So maybe that explains why I'm so emotional. <laughs> well, so like my, my youngest brother, he can't, he can't control himself. And he, and he, and he also think, you know, 
he was never super challenged. Like he just saw all, all of us do it. And he just assumed from the time he was six months old, I think that he was the best at everything <laughs> in the world, everything, <laughs> not just athletics, everything. He's never wrong. And I mean, I, I have that in me too. Like, believe me, you know, ask my brothers, ask my wife, ask my father. I mean, when I'm in an argument, I'm never wrong either. Um, but you know, uh, it's definitely when you, the youngest man, they never get dethroned. Uh, as from, you know, from their parents as a child, you know, so they're always just the center of attention and they think the world revolves around them most of the time. Sorry, I don't mean to be picking on you. Here, but, <laughs> Damn, Joe. You know, I, I realize all of a sudden I'm kind of coming out youngest siblings, but um, no, I mean, my youngest brother, it's, it, it's, it's, it, there's a lot, there's a lot of that. And I, I honestly think, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty big advantage when you're the youngest and you get like, when he was in high school, he was watching me play NFL games. Like, I don't really think he he had the same. I don't think high school football was as big for him as it was for me. You know, I think he had a completely different perspective on it. I think he was like, man, this is just high school football. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to kill these guys. You know, whereas whereas when I was in high school football, that was the biggest thing I had ever seen. You know, so I was still like, man, this is this is the big time, you know. And then when you go to college, you're like, man, what was I thinking? Like, it wasn't that big of a deal. Well, I think he had that perspective going in to, you know, starting his athletic career which i think can be a huge advantage because just because your confidence you know is 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 higher than maybe it would be otherwise so joe's the oldest ea's the youngest <laughs> i'm i'm both the oldest and the youngest because i'm the only so i'm kind of the yeah there you go so you know just watching you joe describe the youngest i i could see like you thinking back on childhood memories and your youngest brother with Thanksgiving around the corner, you must have some great Thanksgiving turkey bowl style and big competition, I would imagine, all year round. Some great stories from you know the, the cool thing family. about The cool thing about where I grew up down in South Jersey was that, you know, the high school football season was still going on. And we always played our rival on Thanksgiving. And we played them at like 11 o'clock in the morning on Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving dinner uh, definitely was, was either – bitter or sweet, depending on how that game went. Um, so that kind of always, you know, and, and it, it made it a little bit extra, the fact that the rival, the rival high school, our rival high school is where my parents went to high school. So it always gave me a little bit extra incentive to kind of beat up on those guys and, and, and things like that. I still had some cousins that went to the school, not that I was playing against them. But, uh, yeah, we never really had any backyard turkey bowls, but we were able to play some real games, and it made it a lot of fun. And even growing up when I wasn't playing, like when I was a young kid, we would always go to that game and, you know, and, you know, you see your dad talking to, the, to all the old guys and things like that. And, you know, you, you, you envision yourself playing one day. So it was pretty cool. You are tw in 20th place on the NFL's all-time passing list now. And you did it in style with the 50-yard touchdown to Brashad Perryman. Does it give you chills thinking that you just passed Joe Montana, a guy that you looked up to growing up? Well, I think anytime, like, I think that's the core thing is the fact, you know, not in the number or how many yards or anything like that, but the fact that Joe Montana is the guy that you recently passed, you know, I mean, I think everybody looks at him and, you know, holds him up there probably until more recently with Tom, uh, you know, winning all the Super Bowls he's won. But, you know, obviously Joe's in that conversation for being the best quarterback uh, to ever play. So I think anytime that you're, you know, in his arena for whatever reason, it, it makes it a little bit, uh, you know, it, it adds to the value of it for whatever reason. You know, EA was just talking about Brashad Perriman and that touchdown connection you had. Is I'm just curious, 
What do you see in terms of Brashad as a difference, as a person, from when you knew him in Baltimore to now reuniting with the Jets? You know, I think when he was in Baltimore, I mean, he was dealing with a lot of little tiny injuries and things like that that were kind of keeping him from being full speed and being able to run, you know, the way he can. And, and really, you know, at a certain point, that affects your confidence. I think he's been able to go some places and have success, and I think that you can you can see that. It shows up on the field, the fact that he's gone out and played well and made a name for himself in this league. Um, you know, he, he he's able to use all that speed on the field and really play confident, and you can see that. You're 35 years old, but you said the other day you feel like a 15-year-old out there playing. How good did it feel just the comfort zone you were in against the Patriots because it's been a tough road back for you following neck surgery. And I looked at some of those plays with Adam Gase. We were taping the coaches show the other day and you were on it. The accuracy on the long ball was really something else. Do you think you took that step forward and, and you proved something to people? Well, I think, listen, I, I think ultimately, you know, also not just about proving things to people is, you know, I've, I prove it every time I go out there and, and can have some kind of success, I prove it to myself over and over and over again. And as a player, that's what you have to constantly be doing. You have to constantly be going out there and passing the test in your own mind and, you know, and getting that confidence level higher and higher and higher. So I think, you know, the first two weeks that I played were a good, were a good little, um, ramp up for me and I think I did some good things but that I think they definitely helped me in allowing you know allowing me to play free and and be confident as I took the field and then you know we played a good team game it's a shame that we weren't able to finish it out um so you know so I did feel like we did a lot of good things but you know you want to win the football game and that's the most important thing so the fact that we weren't able to finish that one out is definitely tough um but yes I, I it it was a good chapter for me to kind of get out there and, 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 and start to feel it again. It was a lot of fun. Where does the touchdown to Crowder rank up there? Because the probability rate on that, uh, most people would have thought that no chance for success there. Instead, you guys connect on a scoring pass. And then going back to the Perryman bit, Joe, you kind of throw that on the run. You kind of made a hop and a jump before you released that. So um, where take me through both. The Crowder pass, when you look yeah. at yeah. I probably wouldn't have thought much of it, to be honest with you, but everybody <laughs> makes a big deal about it. And I think he made an unbelievable catch just getting his feet in and not not bobbling that ball even a little bit. Um, I played with a guy, Derek Mason, back in early in my career, and he, he, he was unbelievable at keeping his feet in bounds and, and catching the ball just like Crowder did on that one, and it reminded me a lot of that. Um, he, unbelievable job by him. Um, and then the Brashad one, you know, I, I knew I had him, and I kind of felt – somebody coming, coming, you know, outside of our left tackle. And he was nowhere, he was really nowhere near me, but I kind of felt him for whatever reason. That's why I kind of took those two, two little steps up. And um, I mean, Brashad beat him so bad and the, and the safety had kind of sat down and came out of the middle of the field. So it was pretty easy from that standpoint. Um, but it's definitely nice to throw some of those and get some touchdowns on the board just as an offense. I mean, I think we've been struggling to get the ball in the end zone a little bit so that to get over that hump to a certain extent uh, definitely made guys confidence and got guys got guys rolling a little bit. On a totally separate, unrelated note, Joe, I have two. It's a two-parter, and both of those questions are also unrelated. As I'm watching you answer the question, I'm noticing your beard's coming in real nice. Mm. It's and so I'm curious: Are you 
the only Flacco that can grow a beard, or is that a family gene where all Flaccos can grow beards? And the second part of this is, as someone from South Jersey, what do you think about people that refer to pork roll as Taylor Ham? <laughs> well, I just, all right, so the, with the beard thing is like, no, it's not everything. I mean, I don't know what my dad can do. I think one of my <laughs> other brothers would be able to grow a legit beard like this. All the other ones, no chance. Um, <laughs> And the, the yeah, the uh, the pork roll Taylor ham thing. I mean, I, I wouldn't have even known the difference. I, I, I wouldn't have even known that people call it Taylor ham. You know, when you when you grow up in a little bubble, you just you just assume everybody knows what pork roll is. And obviously, Taylor ham is basically just the brand name of that. So I kind of uh, understand where I am, uh, you know, where my feet are. And obviously, if I'm up here, I'm not really sure if people know what pork roll is. So I just refer to it as Taylor Ham just so I leave out the confusion. Wow, um, there's a lot generous. of things like that. I mean, I now say water, but like down in South Jersey, Philly area, everybody calls it water. And <laughs> I, got, I got tired of people. I got tired of waitresses, you know, looking at me like, you know, when I when I would say I'll just have a water and they'd be like looking at me like, what, you know, what is that? What, 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 what in the world are you talking about? So like there's little things definitely with my accent and then just with things, you know, different, you know, obviously different people from different parts of the country refer to things with different names. So I kind of have gotten picked on enough to realize that, you know, maybe everything I say isn't quite normal. So I have to try to be in the moment and understand what people might take that as. Do you like the nickname Joe Cool? And there's no way in how your family calls you Joe Cool. What's the nickname <laughs> your family's given you? <laughs> uh, I don't think you want to know anything that my family, uh, you know, is giving me. And I'm cool with all nicknames. I mean, you can call me whatever you want. But it's one of the it's one of the things we were talking about earlier in the day, earlier in this conversation. Is just, you know, whatever. Call me whatever you want. I'll let you do it. I'm really just Joe. That's all I really care about is being called Joe, but you can call me whatever you want. Most of the people in my family are trying to look to pick on me for, for whatever reason. I'm the older brother. They, they just look at me as an easy target. I'm not very funny. I don't have any personality. Just the same things people would, <laughs> you know, all, all the same things that people want to say about me just because they, they think they know me from TV. Well, my, my siblings do the same stuff, you know, and I, and I just take it. I take it. But, you know, when, when I really need to, I give it back to them and, they know I have the upper hand on them. So like, you know, when, when you're me and you, you know, what do I really, what do I really care? Let them have their fun, pick on me a little bit and I, I'll have some fun with it also. You know, one of our producers sent me a note just now, Joe, and he said the North Jersey, South Jersey thing is real. The rivalry that is because everything you're saying is bothering him in the back. Mm -hmm. So like when you're talking <laughs> about pork roll and water, he he's getting his blood boiling yeah, right well, there. I mean, yeah, I wish I, I don't know a ton about it, but it's basically New York and Philly. I mean, that's what <laughs> yeah. Jersey is to me. Uh, that's how I, that's how I view it. It's Eagles fans. And then, and then it's, you know, probably Giants and Yankees fans, I guess. And then you have your, you know, your Jets fans on Long Island. And you, I guess you have a few Mets fans mixed in here, here and there, but it's New York and Philly. That's we're, we're living in suburbs of, of both of those cities. So the, uh, the rivalry is for sure real. Yeah, that's for sure. Especially, there's, of course, Eagles, Giants, same division. There's yeah, Philly, there's yeah. I mean, Philly, come on. I mean, there's Phillies, Mets. For real, you oh, know? yeah. There's Flyers, Rangers, Phillies, Mets. I mean, the, yeah. the list can go yeah. on and on. Yes, yeah. you certainly can. Uh, you've experienced a lot in the National Football League. What stands out, a former Super Bowl MVP, 10-5 and five mark in the postseason. You're playing with your third team right now. 
I think your experience is going to be invaluable for Sam Darnold. What has your interaction been like with him on and off the field? And one of those lines that you keep on talking about is it's important to maintain confidence, not just for the signal callers, but this entire team as you guys look to get over the hump. Yeah, listen, I, I've, I've enjoyed being here with Sam a bunch. I, I think he's got a bunch of talent. I think he's an awesome kid. I think he's a hard worker. He loves this game. So, you know, I, I hope that I have and continue can continue to help him in whatever way possible. Um, it's definitely been a good experience. I wish it could have been a better experience as a team for us up to this point. But, um, you know, I have a lot of confidence and a great relationship with him. So I'm excited about, you know, the, the upcoming couple months. You know, I have yet again another unrelated question. And I'm, I'm very curious about this one. I found an article online, Joe, that's 30 lesser known facts you probably didn't know about Joe Flacco. And number 30, I'm very curious if you've ever, if you knew this or if this is real or not real, it says on February 9th, 2017, a survey by wearefanatics.com, which I verified is a real website, found that Joe Flacco is the most attractive player in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing that. I mean, that one was hard to miss. Somebody was, everybody was making fun of me for it and probably somewhat jealous about it. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows, who knows who's coming up with that stuff, man. Uh, I mean, yeah, it didn't do anything for me. I was already married at the time. It's not like I was like, it's not like that helped my game out. All of a sudden it boosted me up with all the ladies, you know, so, uh, it was just one of those things that I probably got made fun of from, you know, more so than anything. Oh, did your wife stop at all, or she didn't think twice about it? Ah, she probably was just like, oh, yeah, like his head needs to be any bigger, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, she just jumped in with everybody else. You got anything else yet? I would just say, uh, back to the football side of things, the vertical passing game that you guys established against the Patriots, if that can continue down the stretch, how might that change the way defenses have attacked this offense so far this season? Yeah, I think it's really important. I really do. I mean, I think teams have been able to kind of come up and, and press us and really try to just choke us out. And I think the more that we can get that going, the more it's going to put fear in some people and the more that we're going to get, you know, maybe maybe we'll start seeing a little more zone, maybe a little bit easier completions and being able to move the ball with, with a little bit less resistance. But, you know, I, it, it's, it's always good to see guys being able to win vertically when they do want to come up and challenge it because it, it, it allows the possibility for big plays and, and all of those things, and it, it, it makes protection better. Um, so hopefully we can keep everybody healthy and, and, and keep everybody, you know, doing those, those same kind of things. Awesome. Joe, appreciate the time. Enjoyed it. All right. Appreciate it, guys. We told you it was a good interview with Joe Flacco. We'll hear from Bart Scott momentarily, but Joe Cool, he brought the juice. <laughs> he certainly did. I can't imagine being one of six. That's got to be – Pretty complicated for the parents and tough inside the house because if you have young people all jumping around, um, you know, there can be a lot of people going in different directions. But uh, Flacco, a very accomplished player and now professional, but his whole household, if you go down the list of his siblings, oh everybody did something. It's amazing. You know, <laughs> I, I, I wish I had asked this, but I don't know the age difference yeah. between Joe and the youngest, yeah. but I would just imagine that. It would be a hectic, a hectic household for Joe's parents, and kudos to them. Six children, and the age, I, I assume the age range is pretty, pretty wide there. Anyway, yeah. So. 
But uh, Flacco's got such an interesting history because he started out at Pittsburgh and was the backup quarterback to Tyler Falco. And he saw maybe the writing on the wall there and he transferred to Delaware. And one of the Baltimore Ravens chief scouts at the time was Jets GM Joe Douglas. And Joe Douglas liked what he saw, this kid out of Delaware. And eventually they drafted him in the first round and he's had a hell of a career. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's funny the way life kind of comes full circle in the NFL with Joe Douglas being in Baltimore, now Joe Flacco being here, and Joe Douglas a big reason why he was drafted in Baltimore. And then, of course, Joe Douglas's last draft with the Ravens, Rashad Perriman was mm. the first-round pick, and now Rashad Perriman is here with Joe Flacco. I mean, there's a lot of different lines. But, that are but that's why I'm excited, like, you, you know, and I'm jumping in here on <laughs> your point, because <laughs> as soon as you mentioned Perryman, I'm just thinking about what the Jets' offense showed against the Patriots. Yes, just one game, but – that final Q&A there at the end of the podcast, that can change things up the more vertical success they had. And they finally had the three dudes together in Jamison Crowder, Brashad Perryman, and Denzel Mims. We saw Perryman flourish down the stretch last year in Tampa. Hopefully he can do that again. Denzel Mims has practiced, what, less than 15 times in the NFL, and he continues to go out there and take strides every week. You, you mark him down for four receptions every week, and then <laughs> Flacco's been – I mean, uh, Crowder has been awesome at the slot position when he's been on the field. So uh, this offense showed some promise uh, with Flacco slinging it. But, of course, now the Jets want to see Sam Darnold back in the lineup. We'll have to see, monitor his situation with the mm -hmm. sore right shoulder because – if he just can't go, you're in good hands with Joe Flacco. You know, Denzel Mims, his first reception of the night, maybe it wasn't his first reception, but when the Jets settled for a field goal on their first possession and Mims almost broke loose between both of the McCourty twins, yeah. I really thought that he had a chance to go. And when you look at the replay, you see Jason McCourty, his leg catches Denzel Mims's cleat, which is probably what prevented him from showing off that 4.38 burner speed. And just real quick before we hear from Bart Scott, I'm, this is just a testament to how injured the Jets have been this year. Do you know which wide receiver has received the most snaps since the start of the regular season for the New York Jets? Well, it's none of the three players that I just talked about. It is correct, none of them. It's not Vincent Smith. I'm going to go with Braxton Berrios. You're close. It's Chris Hogan. Is it Hogan? Yeah. I was going to go with either <laughs> and, Barrios or Hogan. And Hogan's on injured reserve right now as we're recording this podcast. He's eligible to return from right. the ankle injury, but that right there, Chris Hogan, who's missed weeks six through nine, hmm. is the guy that's leading the Jets receivers in terms of playing time. So without further ado, let's now head to Bart Scott for our Victorinox Swiss Army Player of the Game. Now it's time for our Victorinox Swiss Army Player of the Game segment with Bart Scott. Bart, kick us off here. Jets traveling out west to face the Los Angeles Chargers. Who you got for your matchup to watch? Well, I think one of the most productive tight ends in the game and one of the most underrated tight ends in the game. He's been healthy the last couple of years. I'm going to go with Hunter Henry against Marcus May and Ashton Davis. Whoever he matches up with, he's going to be the matchup nightmare because he's so able to control the middle of the field, the seams, the intermediate route, the short route. And also, he's going to be the hot route if the Jets decide to be aggressive and try to heat up Justin Herbert. Um, you know, so it's going to be exciting because I think that we can be able to maybe try to take Kenny Allen away who we can't double and put our, our, our pass specialist 
you know, against is Hunter Henry. You can't put two on him, so that's going to lead, you know, one deadly one-on-one against Kenny Allen, which you don't want to do, and Williams on the outside. So I feel like it's going to be a cover two shell, and cover two shells usually means tight ends up the rail. <laughs> hey, Bart, did you see strides from Ashton Davis in his second start? Obviously, uh, tough assignment in that first start against Patrick Mahomes and company. Against the Patriots, he was used a little bit differently, more so in the box, and a lot of times as a blitzer. Yeah, I mean, you, you saw him with the big hit against Cam Newton, but I think the game kind of slowed down for him. You can think that, you know, somebody looks fast or don't look fast on film when you actually step on the field. It's a difference between, you know, film speed and actual football speed. And I think he recognized that, you know, he had to be faster, that he couldn't hesitate, that, you you know, angles change fast on the field. I think he showed what he learned from the Kansas City game in the following week against the Patriots. I thought he was physical. I thought he was decisive. And that's what he's going to have to be. You can't be thinking because if you think about it, you've already missed. EA, what about your matchup to watch? I'm going to the other side of the ball. We finally saw the three dudes in action at the same time. And Denzel Mims, Brashad Perryman, and Jameson Crowder, they had 11 receptions against the Patriots and three touchdowns. Joe Flacco was the quarterback. He connected on 72% of his passes, displaying great accuracy on the long ball. I think the Jets have opportunities to make some inroads against this Chargers secondary. When you look at the cornerback position, Casey Hayward has struggled at times. They have Michael Davis as well. Maybe Chris Harris is back in the lineup. But I think those three guys can get some things happening. And I really like what I saw Joe Flacco last week. Yeah, I don't think that there's a Jets fan in the world that wasn't happy to see Jamison Crowder, Brashad Perriman, and Denzel Mims on the field at the same time. For my matchup to watch, I'm going to the Jets offensive line. Mekhi Becton, Adam Gase said, should be good to go after a weird chest injury Monday night, and he'll be facing up either against Melvin Ingram or Joey Bosa if he's healthy at times. And those two guys line up either, well, those two guys, Melvin Ingram typically against Mekhi Becton, you'd probably assume, and Joey Bosa against George Fant. So that's going to be interesting to see. Bart, I'm curious to know what makes you think, or in, from your perspective, why has Joey Bosa been such an effective pass rusher in his young career in the league? Well, it comes from you know where they train. They train with Larry Johnson, one of the best defensive coaches in college. Uh, all his players have the ability not only to bull rush, but they understand you know they have a multitude of moves and they're able to set them up. So what makes Joey Bosa and his brother and everybody that's come out of Ohio State for recent years is their ability to disengage, their ability to have the hand play, the, the perpetual motion that they are always in, and ability that when guys shoot their arms, especially if they shoot them too far away, they, they're able to have violent hands and get them off of them, which may, you know transfers the, the positioning of the offensive linemen, and they're able to come through. And they always have a counterplay, too. They can beat you with speed. They can beat you with uh, you know power. But they also they have a counter move and beat you inside if you overset. It's going to be important whether it's Melvin Ingram or Joey Bosa, you know, that, that Beckton or Fant stay disciplined and stay, you know, inside. And if they're going to get beat, they're going to get beat outside. They can't open up the gate. They have to stay square shoulders to the line and kick back and make sure that they're reeling the anchor once they close the distance. Bart, real quickly, where does the Jets' divisional win over the Chargers back in 2009 rank up there for you? Oh, it was a big game because we were just coming off uh, beating the Cincinnati Bengals and people thought that the Bucks stopped there, that that was going to be the end of our journey. You know, going out to a hot team against, you know, Phillip Rivers at that time, Antonio Gates, LaDainian Thomas, Antonio Cromartie. Um, they had, they still had a, a great team, 
And we went out there, we, we out-physicaled them, and we, we took the air out of the game. Jim Leonard had a big play and intercepted, and of course, we all know about the Rockabye baby with Bob Sean Green running up the middle, and Cromartie wanted no parts of <laughs> and that's how we wrap up the Victorinox Swiss Army Player of the Game segment and another edition of the official Jets podcast powered by Amazon Web Services.